The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome. Today, we're going to talk about saving the wildlife. Excuse me. Today, we're going to talk about saving the wildlife in Indian River Lagoon which is about 156 miles of lagoon water on the uh, right-hand side of Florida there on the Atlantic coast. And down in Stewart, Florida, Captain Nan Beaver, who introduced me to this whole problem, uh, is our guest today. And um, Captain Nan Beaver runs Sunshine Wildlife Tours. Hello, Nan. Hi, Rob. How are you? Very good. And also with me again is our Ocean River... Institute spring intern, Noah Randall. Hi, Noah. Hi, Rob. So Hi, Noah. Noah was on an earlier show talking about um, swimming with Garibaldis in the kelp forest. So if you want to hear more of Noah, you can uh, stay, listen to this program and then tune back to her earlier program about Garibaldis. Um, Nan, I'm so thrilled that you're back. Um, it's sort of like an annual tradition. Well, it is an annual tradition. It was probably about six years ago that I we first met, and here we are. I have an invitation before me with our sixth, uh, no, number yeah, five, it fifth actually, annual, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fifth yeah. annual Sunshine Wildlife Tours Ocean River Institute fundraising dinner. It's going to be March 26th of uh, 2015 at the Miles Grant Country Club and uh, 6 p.m., and it's just a phenomenal gathering of just the best people. Um, I always have the best time. Uh, and you've always been great to have other people come and talk. And so finally, after, for the fifth annual, the feature speaker is Captain Nancy Beaver herself. And uh, we're all very thrilled that, you know, the host that has been such, such a magnanimous host in so many details and, and keeping it going smoothly is... Um, I hope things don't unwind while you're talking because you're so good at holding things together. But uh, I'm thrilled you're going to be talking at the event. And so I invite people to please, if you're interested in, in attending, to um, I give them the reservation number or do you want me to just give them the email address? A uh, reservation number is fine, too. It's, uh... Yeah, if you want to come, uh, 772-219-0148. That's 772-219. 2190148 for uh, March 26th at Miles Grant uh, Country Club. We're having a, a dinner party uh, featuring uh, Captain Nan Beaver. And, and Nan, you also uh, have a website for people who sign up for uh, Sunshine Wildlife Tours. And, of course, you can use that number for that as well. How can people reach you online? What's the website? Uh, the website is www.sunshinewildlifetours.com. And you can, sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that's, they can go to the website and, and uh, contact you through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is fabulous. Uh, this is such a, it used to be in January, so I, I'm looking forward more than ever because I've been delayed by about two months and stuff. Uh, when I go out to Florida, when I go to Stewart and you take me out on the water or my cousin Jim takes me out on the water, uh, we always find our way over to Bird Island and it's it's so exciting that uh, Bird Island has a habitat status. Now, how did you go about obtaining that, and what does that mean to be a habitat status for Bird Island? Yeah, it's a it's a critical wildlife habitat. Um, oh yeah. And it's uh it's it's quite a battle to get. Um, you have to 
really document and monitor well and uh, show show the need for this uh, criteria and show that it has been disturbed. Um, and so I started at this, uh, you know, trying to bring the attention of the uh, Wildlife Commission to this issue about 15 years ago, and it's taken all of this time, but this year it was finally declared um, by the wildlife uh, by the state um, as a critical wildlife area, which means that now, you know, people can be severely fined for disturbing these birds, um, which was always a, you know, kind of an odd one to me because it's uh, it's the only place in Martin County in our county that the American wood stork nests, and, of course, they are an endangered species. So, obviously, it's critical to protect the habitat uh, just for that, but... Um, it's very exciting that they passed it in June because it's the first critical wildlife habitat to be designated in the state of Florida in 20 years. So, um, wow, was, in 20 years. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. Yep. That yeah. is huge. Yeah. And I think what makes it so special is the diversity of species. Um, not only is it the only place in the county that the American wood stork nests, but we also have some roseate spoonbills nesting on it now several species of egrets and herons, and um, magnificent fricket birds come in to roost at night. So um, the diversity is just incredible. Yeah. And the island's only about an acre and a half in size, 1.6 acres. It's, uh, it is uh, it's definitely the place to go uh, if you're out about it. <laughs> so it's a, it's a wonderful little habitat and, uh, and a real treasure to have local here to be able to share this with people. Um, you know, people... People don't always appreciate birds, but um, I've never taken anyone out to that island yet that didn't have a new appreciation of the birds after they visit the island. And, of course, you don't get on it. Um, we have signs, new signs around it now telling people how, how far away from the island they have to stay so that we don't disturb the birds. But we're still close enough to really enjoy them. So it's wonderful the way it's worked out, frankly, with the county and the state and uh, everyone working together a little bit. And Martin County Audubon's doing a wonderful job as well. That's really great. So um, could you tell me a little bit more about these frigate birds? I studied them in third grade for, like, some small project I did um, and was fascinated by them, but I I don't really know. I don't remember too much about them, and I don't, I've never heard of the rosette spoonbills before. Yeah, well, the, uh, the magnificent frigate birds can go offshore 100 miles. They have the lightest wing loading of any bird. They have a wingspan that can be six to seven feet. Um, <laughs> And uh, the juvenile has a white head, the female has a white bib, and the male has bright red under the chin, and they can blow it out about the size of a football to impress the female. It impresses the heck out of me. Uh, (laughs) So they're really cool. And the roseate spoonbills, too, they're one of my favorites. Um, They are tactile feeders like, um, like our wood stork. They don't watch for their food like most birds. They feel for it. And their colors are just incredible. Um, When they're very young, they're they're pretty much white when they first get their feathers, and then if you see them and they're light pink, that means it's a juvenile, one of the kids. And what I love about them is the older they get, the more colorful they get, uh, just like us. Uh, and, and their colors are incredible, not just the pink and white, but they have green on their neck. Their eyes are red. Um, they have kind of a peach color on their shoulders if you see them really close. And if they happen to bend over in front of you, their butts are from a peach to a tangerine orange. So they're absolutely gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> why are they called spoonbill? Because they're, you know, a lot of birds are named for odd things, but the spoonbills are named because the end of their bill looks like a spoon. And they feel through the water for their food, for tiny crustaceans and fish. Yep. Mm. Is, is any of their coloring a result of what they eat? Because I know that flamingos are pink because of the shrimp. It is. It is. It's a cumulative thing of of their diet throughout the years. But uh, the older they get, uh, the the more colorful they get. Yep. So the older they get, yep. the prettier they are. Yeah. And then you and also it is have a cumulative thing. Yep. So at um, Bird Island, you said that the wonderful wood storks are so dramatic, and the roseated spoonbills, which I guess have only been there for a few years, but it's so great that they're established there. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess in frigate birds, um, you see um, uh, what, great white herons or uh, little whites or... 
Egrets. We see great egrets. We see um, little blue herons, tricolor Louisiana herons, uh, snowy egrets, um, uh, a few cattle egrets. Uh, it's just uh, the, the diversity yeah. is just incredible. And black-crowned night herons also nest there. So do great, uh, great blue herons. Um, so no, it's just, uh, the black crowns look pretty grumpy. They just kind of stand around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've counted as many as 30 different species on and around the island. We have a couple of American oyster catchers out there, too, and they're also beautiful birds. Um, we don't have too many of them. They are sand nesters, and so they're constantly being disturbed, and they mate for life. Uh, they are beautiful birds. They look like they're wearing a little black-and-white tuxedo, and they have a four-inch long red-orange beak, which is very effective. Right, red-orange. Yeah, contrast. Yeah. And you always see pelicans around, don't you? Oh, yes. It's a major habitat for our brown pelican. And uh, they, too, are quite unique in their colors throughout the breeding seasons. Um, they, um, the adults have a white head for most of the year, and in the fall uh, they start to get kind of a yellow cap. And it's real pale at first. In the winter they get a nice bright yellow cap. And the next thing that happens is their brown eyes will change to a beautiful blue. And the last thing that happens is they get a velvety brown stripe down the back of their neck, and those are their full breeding colors. And um, kind of like us, uh, their uh, yellow cap goes back white when the kids hatch out. (laughs) And the brown ones are the youngsters. Brown head, brown back, and a white belly is the first-year pelican. And a brown head, brown back, and a brown belly is the second-year pelican. So they don't get that white and yellow head thing going on until they're about three. They've got to be the laziest flyer I've ever seen. They have a way of just flapping and not putting any energy into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They 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 use the lift off the water, um, very effectively. Uh, so yeah, they're they're pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting that uh, Bird Island is now a critical habitat, and um, I understand that um, there's been some progress working with the uh, county commissioners on. Um, fertilizer regulations to uh, have us not be spreading fertilizers in the summer months. Absolutely. Um, Martin County was the first county to pass an ordinance more stringent, uh, thanks, to, thanks to you, Rob, and all of your hard work in helping us. And, um, you were right there. We went team effort there, yeah. yeah road shotgun. Yeah. And they, uh, they've actually made that uh, ordinance a little more stringent this year, too, which I was happy uh, to see. And um, I understand now that all of the other counties have hopped on board, which was wonderful. As you well know, we tried hard to get the other counties to do something and weren't able to uh, to get them to move on it. But uh, thanks to an awful lot of people raising their voices the year before last and getting upset with everything going into the lagoon and the loss of our seagrass beds and habitat that... Finally, the rest of the counties are on board, so hopefully this will, this will be wonderful and make a big difference to the health of the most diverse estuary in North America for the future. Yep. Yeah, you know, they say it takes a village, but in this case it took a few dozen communities or something of people coming yeah. together. You know, when we passed that, you know, Martin County unanimously passed an ordinance that said no fertilizing June 1st, September 30th. That's like a third of the year. And when the industry heard about that, there was a backlash like no tomorrow, and we totally got skunked by some counties that we thought were leaning in the right direction. Uh, and it really meant we had to redouble and triple and go to Tallahassee to um, see these, uh, see the rest of this way through. So uh, it's it's only because of so many people who got involved and then stayed involved for the long run that uh, that this this happened and and. Nancy, you, you underplay yourself, but you were really instrumental because you were the messenger taking people out onto the boat, get onto the lagoon in your boat, getting people to interact and see for themselves the um, the amount of sea life um, in the um, in the lagoon, and and saying that I'm reminded of you were telling me a story about the newspaper getting you incorrect. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we have to give credit where credit's due. It was a, it was a wonderful team effort, and part of what did bring a lot of attention at the time were that the newspapers got on board and had a lot of articles, you know, about, about how bad it was and the conditions, but we also have to make sure that we aren't going in the wrong direction as far as that's concerned and making a big deal out of something that is not a big deal, um, 
Um, and that, that did happen recently. There was an article saying that uh, <laughs> there was an absence of wildlife in the lagoon, and they, they put my name with it. And, uh, of course, I, you know, nothing could have been further from the truth. Um, I wrote them a letter back saying, imagine when I got off my boat Saturday after viewing three pods of dolphins, several manatee, hundreds of birds, and a, plank- and a zooplankton net full of life to read that uh, there was no life in the lagoon. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, we have to give credit where credit's due, and I think the Army Corps of Engineers did a really good job this year. This summer, we had a very rainy summer. They didn't give us a lot of releases. So, um, you know, everybody, it's, it's, a, it's a real team effort, Rob. That's all. Yeah, yeah, no, it totally is, and it involves many observers, you know, watching all the time and giving feedback about how things are shifting and changing, and, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and bravo that there's so much life in, in the River Lagoon and that it really is a treasure coast. Yeah, 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 in more than one sense. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, in addition to the people we named, i got to take a second just to recognize, you know, Marty Baum, the Indian River Keeper, and Jackie Thurlow. Um, I've spent a lot of time with them when I was back down there, especially we were down there for the... Uh, the River Kids, and they had a youth video contest. Um, how are the River Kids doing now? What, what's up? What have they been up to? Oh, they're they're doing great. They're they're still lobbying. Um, I know they've been to Washington several months ago, lobbying for the lagoon and for for money for the the lagoon's cleanup and uh, water going in their different directions, so we aren't getting releases from the lake. Um, they've recently put out their second published book. Um, it's a coloring book and an informational book for other kids. And, um, geez, Rob, I hope we can get, uh, you know, an Ocean River Kids thing going throughout the whole nation because these kids really make a difference. And um, government listens to the kids when they show up, you know. They absolutely and, uh, do. And Jackie Thurlow-Lippish and uh, Nick Mater have done an amazing job with these kids, helping them get started and get going. And uh, it's just been a, it's a wonderful thing. And... And the kids are definitely the future. It's, uh, you know, they we, have, are. we have to focus on them. They're the ones who seem to get it, and hopefully they'll do a lot better job for the future than we have. I know some of the most rewarding things for me is um, when I talk to timeshares and people at the timeshare. For instance, when I went out Monday, this lady stood up and said, you know, my, my, I took my grandson on your tour when he was seven, and he's still talking about it. And I said, well, how old is he now? And she said 15, you know. So Yeah, and she's still talking about it. In yeah, the middle of that these, are, these are. This is what we what we really need to do is to make sure the kids understand what what their future needs to be and that that, and that they take better care of it. Yep. When I was down there, the River Kids had observed that the boats sitting on moorings there in Stewart um, had this black line around them, and so they they put two and two together and went into the manatee pocket, I think, and pulled out a bunch of muck. Is that correct? I think, and yeah. they had this muck in in, in buckets of muck. And the idea yep. was that they were going to do tie-dyeing, and they would tie-dye the shirts with colors and black muck, so the black parts would be the muck. And unfortunately, yep. the black muck didn't take to the shirts as fast as the dyes did because those boats sat out there in the water a little longer than they wanted to stink the T-shirt and the muck, you know, dye. Yes. So they creatively, you know, they fixed it by, you know, mixing in black coloring to the muck so that they got the effect and stuff. So I like to think that there were some mucky shirts walking the halls of Congress when they went up to talk to Washington. And, <laughs> and I'm sure there were. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but so creative, and it just it was such a good time. And, you know, they, we had a dance out there and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So are the River Kids just based in um, Stewart, or are they in other parts of Florida and other parts of the the nation? Well, good, good question. No, they started here in Stewart, and uh, I understand there's another group of them now on the West Coast. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would love to see this uh, expand throughout the country. I think I think that's that would be a, a wonderful thing and an amazing thing. And um, because uh, they the kids really do make a difference. And uh, and I hope I hope that we can watch it expand throughout the country. Yep. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Nan, Nan, Captain Nan, we're going to take a short break. I'm with Captain Nancy Beaver and Noah Randall. We'll be right back after this break. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back with Captain Nan Beaver of Sunshine Wildlife Tours in Stewart, Florida. And uh, Captain Nan is a partner with the Ocean River Institute. So we host a, an account for her and a web page for her as well as her own. Uh, and if you want to support Captain Nan Beaver or you want to support the work of Noah Randall, our intern here at the Ocean River Institute, uh, you can make your check payable to the Ocean River Institute and we'll direct it to one or the other. Um, or you can uh, come online at uh, oceanriver.org, O-R-G, uh, and hit support and go from there. Or you can support us through Facebook or some of the other uh, media, uh, social media things. But uh, we're talking about the wildlife, the marine uh, wildlife around Stewart, Florida, uh, the southern portions of uh, Indian River Lagoon, uh, you know, on that side of Florida, the Atlantic coast there. And um, nearby, uh, Captain Nan, it's the Dolphin Ecology Project. Can you tell us a bit more about what the Dolphin Ecology Project is? Yeah, Rob. Um, uh, the um, Harbor Branch and, uh, and Nick uh, Mater, who is in our area now just doing the dolphin in our area, and Nick, Nick's been doing a great job the last couple of years. It was hard for... Um, Marilyn Mazoyle and the uh, Harbor Branch group to cover the whole lagoon, so uh, Nick is pretty much covering the southern end and southern ends now. And uh, Nick helped form the River Kids, but she's also been very involved in in the ecology project uh, for the for our wild dolphin. And they've been out here photographing the dorsal fins. Um, they started this about 20 years ago, actually. And it's vital to uh, keep track of, of what they're doing and who's doing okay and where they're going and how far they travel and all new births. And um, the dolphin are very identifiable by their dorsal fins. So they've logged over 850 dolphin that we know pretty much stay here in the lagoon by those dorsal fins. Uh, are there a lot of different types of dolphins? I'm sorry? Are there a lot of different types of dolphins, different species? These are, these are bottlenose dolphins. These are bottlenose dolphin, um, and they and believe yes, there's at least a thousand in the lagoon. But they do spend most of their life in the lagoon. Uh, we think they do that uh, for a couple of pretty good reasons. They're, uh, the seagrass beds make the fishing great for them, so it's a great place for them to raise their young. 
And um, the other reason they like it, we believe, is because, uh, you know, sharks are their only predator. And uh, I won't tell you, sharks don't come in the lagoon because they sure do. Um, but they, they like to attack from below. And if they're spending most of their time in the shallows, they don't have to worry about what's coming up from below. So it's easier for them to uh, protect their young. Um, and we believe that's a couple of the reasons that they like the lagoon but also a major reason why it's been so important to stop the pollution of it because they suffer terribly from uh, health, poor health and only live about half as long as a dolphin offshore because of the issues of pollution in the lagoon. And uh, I'm happy to say, too, this year uh, one of the projects we'll be working on, uh, Rob, will be we will be working with Steve McCullough again on the uh, health assessment of the dolphin in the lagoon. We'll be working uh, mostly the northern part of the lagoon in July with Steve. And uh, very glad that Steve's still on board. It's a vital, vital issue. Yeah, Steve was instrumental in our beginning where, you know, we had a dinner and we featured Steve. It was your first annual, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, Steve told us the plight of the dolphins and how the most dolphins were dying in Martin County. And so we went to the centrist commissioner and said, we got dolphins dying. Clean up, you know, less fertilizer going in, please. And, the, first, and the, the county commissioner said, I've got landowners upset about their grandchildren encountering seaweed on the beach, slimy shores. And we said, well, that's also important. This will clean that up, too. And so, but Steve McCulloch really got us in, in the door, and then being able to expand the story to address multiple concerns really helped with uh, passing the, the first yep. legislation to protect the beaches and stuff. Yeah, um, we And we've had... And he, he's also in a radio show. So if you look back on the Voice America episodes, one of the early numbers was with Steve McCulloch, a fabulous guy. And, and now uh, Nick Mader is, is putting on serious time on the water, you know, getting pictures. And she's on first-name basis with, what, 800 and some odd dolphins, I guess. Yep, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yep. my gosh. Those, uh, those girls, Marilyn Mazoyle's team has been doing a, an incredible job for many years now. Um, one of, the, one of the gals who works with her, I was out with them one day, out with her one day, and uh, we traveled quite a bit. We spotted about 45 dolphins. She knew every one of them by first name without even checking the catalog. So these girls are amazing, i got to tell yeah. you. Yeah. That's yeah. their family out there or something. And you and too, Rob. Uh, you know, <laughs> what got this all started was, uh, you know, us, us talking, and then you put a cry out, uh, Ocean River Institute put a cry out through CARE too, I believe. And yeah. when we went to those commissioners, we got you had 10,000 signatures from all over the world asking yeah. people wow. to clean up the lagoon. And I think you told me it's up to 60,000 now or something. Is that right? Well, we got close to that. We're now about 45,000 people get our e-alerts. So mm-hmm. if you want to know what's going on, please visit OceanRiver.org and subscribe to our free e-alerts. You can always unsubscribe. And when a decision maker is about to make a decision, we send out that question to all these people, and about 10% will write back uh, and sign letters, and about 10% of those will take the time to write comments. And it's those comments that really make a difference to decision makers uh, or their staff and other people who see it and stuff. So it really helps. We're unique because when you write to your decision maker, it all comes back to the Ocean River Institute, and we make sure you sound good before we forward your comments and signatures to the decision makers. So it's a, something we did back then, and we continue to do around the country on issues. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But kudos to Ocean River Institute for, uh, for really getting that going, Rob. Is the, um, are the dolphins suffering as much from the lobomycosis, this uh, skinny-eating fungal disease that they were having a few years ago? Yeah, the uh, HERA project with Steve that I've worked on for many years, um, they... Uh, you know, we, we believe about 40%, uh, numbers seem to show about 40% of the dolphin have papillomavirus in their genitals or their mouths, and they can develop cancer from it. Uh, the lobomycosis, it could be as high as 30% have some of a white uh, skin fungus, uh, that flesh-eating mm. disease, and only humans and dolphin get it. Um, so, yeah, it's still, a, it's still a big problem. It's a big problem, and uh, they have a lot of health issues. And, you know, the females will only live to be, uh, the females will live to be 25 or 26, and offshore they'll live to be 50. The males in the lagoon are only living to be 20 or 21, 
And um, that's because when they give birth, they offload some of their pollutants, and of course the males can't do that. Um, no. but, but the other scary part is we are having some females giving birth for the first time and having stillborn or very sick infants from the pollutant levels. So there's oh, a lot of dear. issues still to deal so with. This, when we're talking about pollutant levels, we're talking about like heavy metals and uh, PCBs and things that uh, will stick in the fat cells. And so they don't, it's not like bacteria, you can't just flush them out or something. Or, you know, they bioaccumulate in these animals. And, and then the fat cells, fat is part of milk. And so if you're a mammal, you're passing milk to a young um, and you can be uh, dumping essentially these heavy metal and other toxins that have accumulated in your body. Uh, so it's uh, very, very serious and, and uh, yeah, yikes. And so now it's manifesting seeing uh, reproductive problems yeah. here. And the only thing we can do is stop putting in the pollution, you know. If, it, if you don't want to eat it first, don't put it in the lagoon, you know. You just... We've got to, you know, find out where these things are coming from and, and if possible, and, and, you know, and nece- it's necessary to stop them from going in because once they're in the animals, they, that, that's it. They just stay there. Right. And the, and the best we could hope for now is that we start to see, you know, since we have passed these and, and, and hopefully it will make a difference that our future health assessments will start to show that things are getting better, you know? Yes, right. As we clean up the waters... We have faith in the resilience of nature that it'll um, try to, you know, it'll improve. Um, and then there's, um, I understand there's a new Martin County Audubon? Yes, there is, and I'm very excited about it. It's uh, um, Martin County Audubon uh, now has a lot of wonderful people on board uh, and a great board, and I've been asked to be a member of that, by the way. I'm very thrilled and uh honored to be asked. Um, We have an avion specialist uh, that I can now take birds to, and she is also a member of the board. And the director of our uh, Treasure Coast Wildlife Hospital, Dan Martinelli, who has studied ornithology as well as a member of the board. And our new president, um, John uh, Nelson, a great guy, um, works works with me together beautifully. We've done a lot of uh, tours. In fact, even spreading out, I just did two tours for uh, Audubon organization in Vero Beach um, on Monday. Uh, they came down to our area and saw the island and, and loved it. So we're working together um, wonderfully and um, very, very proud to be a part of, uh, of our new Martin County Audubon, who is doing a, an excellent job. Yep. Are there any programs that are run for people out of the Audubon? Um, they have... Um, you know, I'd have to contact them or see what else not immediately, but they've, they schedule a lot of trips. Um, uh, some of our gals, uh, we, we do counts on the bird island. Um, in fact, we'll be um, Friday to do a count, and we, all that information goes to uh, eBird, and uh, our Martin County Audubon takes care of that. Uh, we had a program that we brought over two biologists from the other side of the state to teach a bird monitoring course for us. So quite a few of our Audubon people and myself are now certified in um, bird monitoring, which I thought would be great for for our bird island projects. And they have a lot of different trips with um, different environmentalists going on as well that they sign up. So they're they're very active. They're doing a great job. Um, You can check out their website. It's it's new and uh, and uh, a lot of lot of new and good things going on with them. And uh, mostly just great to work with them. Yeah, that's Martin County Audubon. Yeah. And I'm sure if you search that, it'll come up with a website and stuff. Um, um, so tell us about um, how your uh, Sunshine Wildlife Education Tours are going out on the water. I mean, we talk about Audubon, but you're out there even more than they are, I bet. How's that going? Yeah, yeah we're out there almost daily as long as the weather allows. Uh, we are constricted sometimes by the wind, the rain, or the cold, but uh, we're out there just about every day. Otherwise, we'll be doing a sunset tour a little bit later today and showing everybody anchoring at Bird Island and showing them all the birds coming in at the end of the day and and usually see some dolphin and some manatee as well. Um, you know, um, 
We see dolphin on most of our tours, and the Indian River Lagoon is a very important habitat to our manatee. About 50% of Florida's manatees spend a lot of time in the lagoon. Uh, mm. They like shallow water and the grass beds. It supports, you know, all their all their habitat, their food source. They love that seagrass, and of course, they don't hurt it. They just kind of mow it, but uh, they love it, and so do our turtles. And uh, tours are going tours are going great, Rob. Uh, I'm right now. It's middle of season, so we're we're you know we have a lot of people going out right now, and a lot of kids. I love getting the kids out again. So it's a great it's a great family thing to do with a plankton and zooplankton net, and we always get the kids to help us with that. Um, so it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, one individual that I always look every year, I had her on my tour first when she was about eight, and her two parents are both educators, uh, PhDs in their prospective fields. And after their daughter took the tour the first time many years ago, they told me I was their, I was her hero. And uh, yeah. I... I see her every year now, and she has one year to go to get her Ph.D. in environmental science now. So, uh, wow. Must have been very it's inspiring. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's great to, to watch kids grow like that and, and, uh, and hope that, you, you know, you helped, you helped them get there and make a difference. So it's a, it's a wonderful part of being able to do what, what I have the wonderful privilege of, of doing. Definitely. Do you... Um, do you go out in motorboats, or do you go on sort of like less invasive um, ways? Like, do you paddle sometimes, or what kind I of tours? I do some kayak tours as well. Yep, um, but most of my tours are on a pontoon boat, and mm-hmm. it has four-stroke engines. So um, you know, it's it's as least uh, That's least good. invasive as you can get. I can pick my engines up if we do get in shallow areas and stuff, so we don't do any damage to grass beds. And that's another big problem that uh, that our dolphin have is people hitting them with boats. Um, people yeah. always think they get out of the way, and of course they do know where a boat is, unlike the manatee, but they can't always get out of the way. When people fly through the shallows, they don't realize that they're not just, you know, they're injuring seagrass beds and manatee and dolphin. We have quite a few dolphin who have uh, severely injured dorsal fins and cuts on their back from boat hits. Yeah. People so again, don't it's understand. a matter of education, you know. Yeah, the edu- lacking in education is in us who are far away to believe how shallow those waters are. I mean, how shallow are those lagoon waters? Well, the average depth of the whole 156 miles of the Indian River Lagoon is three feet. Three that feet? Wow. That you know, so you've got panel. a normal propeller goes down 16 inches or 20 inches. Yeah. That's not a lot of space for an animal between that and the bottom. And, That's right. you know, it looks like a big expanse of water, so you're out there, you know, going along and, yeah. Yeah, that, that includes the channel, too. That, that average includes the That's channel. The you realize it's very right. little water when you get out of the channel. When you consider that the, uh, you know, the runs through the lagoon, you realize that part has to be deep, and that's included in that average. So, yeah. It's yeah. Quite so, shallow. basically, you walk until you get to the channel, then you swim the channel, and you can walk again. Pretty much, Rob, absolutely. Pretty much walk the lagoon. (laughs) Can walk across most of the lagoon, yep, yeah. Yep. But that's what makes it a wonderful home to all the seagrass beds as well, you know? Yeah. And all the life. And then, then, um, do you you see animals associated with the seagrass, like, uh, I don't know, skates or? Sure, yeah, we we do. uh, The lagoon is home to... Somewhere between four and seven hundred species of fish, depending on where you are. Uh, Dr. Grant Gilmore um, tells me it's probably it's really more like four hundred species. But then when you get to the inlet, you get a lot of diversity. And, yeah. Um, so and it's sure, an important nursery for a lot of commercially viable fish. We, you know, all kinds of species. The only place oh, in the world the Atlantic salt marsh snake exists is the Indian River Lagoon. Wow. Say that again. The Atlantic. Atlantic salt marsh snake. The lagoon, in the Indian River Lagoon is the only place in the world we know it exists. And we just lost some swimmers there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I've never heard of a salt marsh I'd rather snake. swim with him any day than the bull sharks probably might uh, brought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, and you have bull sharks, you were telling me. That's one of the sharks you guys are known for? Yes. it's uh, Actually, the lagoon is a major nursery habitat for the bull sharks, so... Uh, they usually come in and pup uh, May and June, so May and June's not the time to spend a lot of time uh, sw- 
swimming around the bait fish in the lagoon, probably. <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> Captain Nan, we're going to have to take a short break. and will be right back. Okay, um, my guest thanks. is Captain Nancy Beaver from Sunshine Wildlife Tours, and we're going to hear about sharks and pelicans and turtles and stuff like that when we get back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Captain Nan Beaver down in Stewart, Florida of Sunshine Wildlife Tours. And with me is Noah Randall from our, our Ocean River Institute spring intern. Hi, Noah. Hi, Rob. <laughs> okay. And um, so in Florida, uh, people are really helping to save Indian River Lagoon. We're doing this campaign at the Ocean River Institute with uh, Sunshine Wildlife Tours and many others to don't put too much fertilizer on your grass. We want you to treat your grass as well as the best practices of golf courses. Captain Edie, uh, scientist Dr. Edie Witter found that the happiest marine microorganisms were next to some of the golf courses because those golf courses were not letting nitrogen wash off their land into the water. They were saving money by putting the right amount down. So we urge you to, you know, stick to the county ordinances, which says uh, fertilize at least it's respect the setback from the waterways and don't fertilize in there. If your grass goes up too close, fertilize the parts of grass that are further out than, than that. Uh, and the bottom line is that if your grass looks hungry, feed it. But if it's not, you might not have to fertilize it. And the three steps are the setbacks and uh, use at least 50% slow-release nitrogen and then just don't fertilize. Take a holiday from June 1st to September 30th. And you can be back and fertilize in the fall and the winter and spring, but just take that summer holiday. And with that knowledge, you can experiment. You can save money by fertilizing less as long as your grass is happy. Uh, but certainly don't do it when it's raining out because then it gets washed away and stuff. Um, and, but the, the larger problem for um, Indian River Lagoon, that's something we can do, but the larger problem is that are these um, releases that the Army Corps oversees uh, from the – Oh, tell us about this, Nancy. We've got th- about these Army Corps releases. Yeah, um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are on the Army Corps' case. We, we designed this system, and um, it's not something you can change overnight, unfortunately. Was it a poor decision? Certainly, uh, setting it up this way. 
Um, they are making, you know, some progress is being made. Years ago, we straightened, you know, uh, the Kissimmee River that comes into the lake from the north, and now we've put some of that back because we now know that, you know, all those oxbows and things and uh, filtering through that land serves a great purpose to filter out some of that stuff. It doesn't work better straight. Um, I hope in the future to see the Army Corps stop giving us releases from the bottom and give it from the top. Um, it's not something that's been talked about a lot. It's something I've been talking about a lot, and and they are talking now about dredging parts of the lagoon to get all the muck out of it because what happens when you get the releases from the bottom is you get a lot of muck. And of right. What kind of releases are these? Uh, these are released from Lake Okeechobee the into, into yep. the lagoon to go out to the ocean. Um, mm. okay. and, well. and it gets released on both sides of the state. The Caloosahatchee River on the west side of the state gets about 44% of what leaves Lake Okeechobee. And our little St. Lucie River and, and uh, Indian River Lagoon gets about 25% of what gets released from Lake Okeechobee. And you, you end up with major loads of muck, which covers the grass beds, uh, takes away the light and kills them. Um, again, most of the pollutants are on the bottom, so that is a, you know, double, double the problem. And... Um, the oyster, the oysters in the lagoon. Um, not only do they get too much fresh water because uh, when the salinity level drops low, it becomes very stressful on the oysters. But also the muck covers them, and then the rest of life can't attach themselves to them as they normally would. And it's just a huge compounding problem. And trying to figure out how to not get us the releases. And it's it's easy to yell, and it's. It's simple to say, well, we passed a law saying we can't send dirty water down to the Everglades, and that's true, but how come we can send it to the most biodiverse estuary in North America? Which, Yeah, because you share the burden there. Yeah, yeah. We do need to share the burden, and I know the fix is going to take time, but I first of all would like to see get releases from the top, not the bottom, and have the canals. Uh, one of the experts who spoke at an assembly I went to a year ago said that... Um, the canals should be wider and shallower. You know, right in our areas like the C-23 and C-24 canal and the C-44 coming from the lake. And if they were wider and shallower, it wouldn't be so ground intrusive. And um, that, again, it would be easier to dam them up and give us the releases from the top and we wouldn't be getting all that muck. I, I don't see the point of dredging a lot of muck while we're still getting it dumped in here, you know? No, absolutely. And if they would let the water off the top of the dam instead of the bottom, then they could go in and dredge that muck and put it in trucks and use it as fertilizer or something instead of sending it down the river. Absolutely, right from the bottom before it goes anywhere. So and that, yeah. would be, that would be minuscule dredging compared to talking about dredging the whole St. Lucie and the Indian River Lagoon. <laughs> no. Yeah, Yeah, and it's inexpensive fertilizer, which ain't cheap usually. Absolutely, uh, yeah. It, it just makes a lot year, of sense. Yeah. Last year at the fourth annual Sunshine Wildlife Tours Ocean River Dinner, uh, Jackie Thurlow was our featured speaker, and she had spectacular photographs or terrifying photographs of that, you know, black water just coming down the St. Lucia. Remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jackie, uh, Jackie's done a great job. Her husband, Ed, uh, is a pilot, so they go up and take those shots for us. And Jackie's mom, Sandy Thurlow, is our... Um, our most wonderful uh, historian here in Martin County. So Sandy has a lot of historical pictures that, you know, it's great to have those to be able to compare with what's what we're looking at today. Um, so, yeah, Jackie's been a wonderful source and a great trooper. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure she'll be there for dinner with us. But once again, I want to remind people that we are having a Sunshine Wildlife Tours Ocean River Institute dinner on March 26th at the Miles Grant Country Club in Stewart, Florida. And this time, Captain Nan's going to be our feature speaker, as well as making sure everything runs smoothly at the same time. Um, but please, if you're interested, you know, um, drop us a line at, uh, or you can call, call, drop us a telephone call at 772-219-0148. And um, how can people help uh, the work that you're doing, uh, Nan? Well, um I think, you know, locally, uh, calling our, you know, local, our local commissioners and things, we still have a lot of work to do here in Martin County. Uh, Florida's a little slow about things. You know, we still don't have any mandatory recycling in this county. Isn't that pathetic? <laughs> yep. But, uh, 
calling calling your local politicians and and uh, you know emailing emailing Washington and Tallahassee if you're in Florida or if, even if you're not in Florida, you visit Florida. We want we we need the water to be clean to to support um, uh, what what makes this state great and and it is our wildlife, you know. And uh, right, and if you want to do any of these things out there all the time lobbying, so yeah. So Nan and I are out there, and if you'd like to be in, informed about those opportunities, you know, go to www.oceanriver.org and subscribe to our e-alerts, and you'll get the invitations to events and opportunities where you can make a difference. You can also go to Nan Beaver's website. Nan, what's your website? www.sunshinewildlifetours.com. You know, and that's a good way to sign up for a tour. And, um, you know, go out on the water with Nan. You'll never forget it. That is just the most incredible thing that one can do. Um, I think we're out of time, but, uh, Nan, thank you for um, taking the time to explain to us the ecology and the diverse wildlife of Indian River Lagoon and especially around Stewart and Manatee Pocket and all those things. Well, Rob, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to be aboard today, and uh, great to great to meet Noah as well. And um, I'll look forward to seeing you at the dinner. And Noah, thanks for your comments. Oh no, thank you, Nan. It was really great to hear all about the birds and um, all the work that's been going on in Florida. I have to come visit sometime. Absolutely, look forward to it. And that's it for this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.